to start with the birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zachariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. So they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to praise God. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone wondered about it and asked, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. Zechariah's Song Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Julia. Let's just pause to pray together read uh, these words in our passage. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Father, that's our prayer this Christmas, that you'd open our mouths and set our tongues free to praise you for the amazing gift of your son at Christmas. Help us, Lord, as we look at Zachariah's song. Please, by your spirit, speak into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but it was probably, for me, I think one of the highlights of, uh, of our time here so far. And I know there's lots more to look forward to, but it was a great day. We started off with all the kids here uh, helping us to, to hear again the Christmas story as the children acted out 
the nativity story. Um, and then in the afternoon, we had our Chris Dingle service, and we had loads of people from the community coming in. I think uh, we got rid of 100, not got rid of, but we gave out 100 Chris Dingles, and they were made during the service. And it was a beautiful moment when all the, um, the lights were turned off. A bit scary for me, standing at the front, seeing all the kids with these lighted oranges, but they were really good, and it was a wonderful moment. And then, of course, in the evening, the community choir... Community choir here is made up of people from the church and the community, and they had a gig at the pub, and so some of us went along to support them, and that was an amazing event as well. I was, I've been told about it, but to go along and actually to be there and to see how people really engaged in singing uh, the carols, I'm sure the alcohol helps, but you know, it just shows that actually people love to sing, um, and it reminded me, oh, my PowerPoint's a lot, that's um. It reminded me of something that, um, can you waver it over the PowerPoint and then we should, that's it, great, thank you. It reminded me of something that, um, that Tim, Tim Keller said about Christmas. Ah, right, okay, we'll have um, the technology in a moment, but I'll tell you what Tim Keller said because I keep telling you what Tim Keller's about. This is what he said. Christmas is the one time of the year when secular society and church are on the same page. It's a time when people who would say they didn't really have a faith, that they weren't religious, and those who would say, who would say that they do have a faith are all sharing in the same traditions. But of course, for us as Christians, behind these traditions, uh, there's so much truth and it's a great time of the year for us to talk to people about what these traditions are all about, what they mean. And in the pub, obviously, we're limited in what we can say. But what was clear on Sunday night as the choir was singing, that God is good. And that Christian, Christians, well, they're okay people, aren't they? They're prepared to get out of their buildings and they're prepared to sing about what they believe in. And they're prepared um, not to take themselves too seriously, as we sung the 12, song, 12 days of Christmas. You know, and have a bit of fun, and that's important as well. But what we need next is the courage uh, to take those conversations on further with the people to, to, to the next level. But of course, that can be hard, can't it? So what can help us to share the good news of Christmas with others? Well, today we're looking at... Um, Zachariah's song, uh, a man who was transformed at Christmas, who found his voice and a new confidence. So I've got four sections, from silence to singing, from doubt to faith, from promise to fulfillment, and from darkness to light. First of all, from silence to singing. A few weeks ago, at our very early prayer meeting at 6.35 on a Tuesday morning, uh, Gordon came in shouting, it's a boy, it's a boy. He was announcing the birth of his great-grandson and Liz's grandson. He was filled with joy as he shared, us, shared with us that great news. And the same is happening in the account that we're just reading in that little village not too far away from Jerusalem. It wasn't long before the whole neighborhood heard what was going on. The old priest, Zachariah, and his equally elderly wife, Elizabeth, had finally got a child. Something very strange had happened nine months previously when Zechariah 
had gone to the temple, gone into Jerusalem to undertake his service in the temple. And he'd been chosen to go into the inner sanctuary to pour out the incense. Um, and he'd come out looking as white as a sheet. More than that, he couldn't speak. He couldn't even tell anybody what had happened to him inside the temple. He then returned to his village and life went on pretty much as normal. Although nobody saw Elizabeth around. In verse 24, it says that she was in seclusion for five months. But now her baby has been born. Look in verse 65. The neighbours were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. You see, in Palestine, uh, the birth of of a baby boy was an occasion of great joy. When a birth was announced, the neighbours and the musicians would burst into music and song. But if it was a girl, the musicians went regretfully and silently away. When Irene and I were living in uh, Pakistan, and Irene was expecting our second child, we asked the neighbours how we should announce, um, sorry, we asked some friends how we should tell our neighbours that um, we'd got a new, a new child. And they said, well, if it's going to be a boy, we should go to our neighbours with, with a plate of sticky sweets and say to them in Urdu, I'm going to tell you in English, you could say, a new guest has arrived in our house today. They would then know that a boy had been born to us. And I said, well, what happens if it's a girl? And the advice was, stay at home. <laughs> in some parts of the world, Iman is nodding ahead. In some parts of the world, even today, it's only really the birth of a boy that's publicly celebrated. And we read in verse 66, a question that everyone was asking, what then is this child going to be? Zechariah had nine months of silence to think about that question. Remember how in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the angel Gabriel had told him what was going to happen, that he was going to have a son. But Zechariah had questioned the angel. He thought, Would that, can that really happen? I don't believe it. And as a rebuke for his faith, he lost his voice for nine months. But I wonder if during those nine months, whether he brought to mind all the prophecies about the promised Messiah. And did he remember that the prophecy said that God would send a messenger ahead of the Messiah to prepare the way? It looks like he did understand that because in verse 76, addressing his newborn son, he says, you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Do we, do we seek silence, I wonder? Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. God says, Be quiet. Be on your own. Seek solitude and discover that I am God. Turn off the telly. Switch the mobile phone to silence. Stop the endless chatter in your head and be still. What would we understand about God and his purposes if we spent more time in silence, I wonder? You might think I'm a bit crazy talking about the benefits of silence at Christmas time. You're a busy mum, or work has really been frantic this year. But what are the opportunities during our day that we can take? Our journeys to work in the morning, between our appointments, or as we walk to pick the kids up from school. There are times when we can be quiet before the Lord, or those moments that we have just before we drift off to sleep. Moments of silence to, t- to tune into something much bigger and beyond ourselves. 
we too can turn what might seem a negative situation into a positive one, just like Zachariah did. Zachariah had turned what appeared to be a rebuke into a reward, and it comes out as a song of praise. He goes from silence to singing. And next we see how he goes from doubt to faith. The song begins with these words in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. There are three things I want to point out in this verse. Firstly, you may be wondering why this is written as if it's already happened. Look again in verse 68. It says, he has come to his people and redeemed them. Why is it in the past tense? Isn't the point that Jesus was coming rather than saying that he had already come? Zechariah, nine months earlier, didn't believe that his wife could get pregnant. And now filled with the Holy Spirit, he's so confident that God is going to do what he promised. He puts it in the past tense. He was so full of faith that he considers God's promise for the future as good as done. How confident are we? of God's promises. And can we discover that same confidence in God? Do we believe that the message of the gospel is what the world needs to hear? I think for Zechariah there were three things that were particularly important for him in his, in his newfound confidence. Silence before God, knowing God's promises, and being filled with God's Spirit. It's these three factors which changed his doubt to faith. The second thing to note in verse 68 is a small word, come. He has come. The coming of the Messiah is a visitation of God to our world. and For centuries, the Jewish people had been waiting. But God had been silent for, five, for 400 years. There'd been no prophets for the last 400 years. But now the moment had arrived. God was going to break through in this moment of history at this point in time. And God's way was personal. He was sending his son. Not an angel, not a book, not a prophet, but his son. When we lived in Bolton, we had um, Pakistani family that lived next door to us. And um, they told us that their daughter Mobeen had got engaged and was going to get married and we were going to get an invite to the wedding. So we waited for the invitation card to be pushed through our letterbox, but it never came. Then one day Mobeen and her mum Rubina came to the door and they told we invited them in and we sat and drank tea together and they just told us how busy they'd been because they had, they had to visit everyone that they were inviting to the wedding. You see, they told us within their culture Giving an invitation was personal. You had to visit the person and give them the card. And this is a picture of what God has done. His invitation to us is personal. It's not just written about in a book. It came through Jesus, God's Son, who came to our world with that personal invitation. Thirdly, in verse 68, we read that Jesus came and redeem them. Now we don't know what Zechariah understood really by the term redeem, and it's easy for us to put all of our meaning, understanding into that, into that word, but he probably was thinking to what Moses had said to describe how, how God had rescued his people from Egypt. 
In Exodus chapter 6, God says to the Israelite people who were in slavery in Egypt, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. God had promised at that point in their history that he was going to take them out of slavery to rescue them from bondage. And Zechariah's expectation that Jesus the Messiah was going to do a similar thing. He was coming to rescue, to pull people out of the slavery of sin. But what did God want to redeem us from? Well, let's look at that in our next section, as our song tells us that we move from promise to fulfillment in verses 69 to 75. And in verse 69, we come across a rather unusual description for Jesus, a Messiah. He's described as a horn of salvation. What on earth does that mean? Look in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I wonder if you've been watching um, any of the David Attenborough documentaries. I particularly enjoyed the, the last series where you saw kangaroos kick fighting and cuckoos pushing rival chicks out of the nest. And um, perhaps, perhaps for me the most gripping episode was watching the male elephants fight uh, for dominance using their long tusks as weapons of war, inflicting serious injury to their opponents. And this is what is meant by this, by this verse, a horn or a tusk can give an animal victory in battle. It indica- indicates strength. And that's why this term is applied to Jesus. The coming Messiah has a battle to face and he needs to be strong and powerful. powerful. But this Messiah will be equipped with the strength to overcome his enemies. Although he was born as a vulnerable baby, By his death on the cross, he would defeat our greatest enemy. But who is that enemy? In verse 71, Zechariah says that Jesus will bring salvation from our enemies and from all who hate us. Now, if you were to ask a Jew at the time when these words were written who their enemies were, they would have said the Romans. They were the occupying force who had oppressed the Jewish people. But the true enemies of them and the true enemies of us. is not foreign invaders, but spiritual foes, foes. The real enemy is sin and death. That's why in verse 77, it describes what the people need to hear. They need to hear news um, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That, that's what John the Baptist was, was going to do, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It was going to be Zachariah's son, John, who would give this message to the people. And this is the heart of the Christmas message. It's about a changed relationship between people and God. And yes, of course, we're, we're called to tackle social injustice and political oppression, but we believe at the heart of the matter, real change only comes when our hearts are right with God. And this is a result of a long-term planning by God, the unfolding of his promises made long ago to Abraham. We read in verse 72, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. You see, God's plan is rooted in history and God keeps his promises. We can trust him. I wonder if you've ever received a Christmas present that you really don't like. A few years ago, I was given a sat-nav. And my first thought was, I don't need this. I don't want some annoying person barking out instructions to me while I'm driving. So I put it away in a cupboard. 
But then we moved from Bolton to Oldham, and suddenly I found that I needed to get to places that I had no idea where they were. And I remembered I had a sat-nav in the cupboard. But what, what seemed to be a useless present at the time became a really very useful gift. I realized how much I really needed a sat-nav in my life. Now I don't go anywhere without it. <laughs> you see, lots of people look at Jesus as an unwanted Christmas gift because they don't know that they need him. They lock him, lock him away in a cupboard like an unwanted Christmas present, a gift that is left unopened, undiscovered. It's only in Jesus, the horn of our salvation, that our sin and separation from God can be dealt with. He is our only hope. So when we discover who Jesus is, what can we look forward to? Well, we can look forward to a world turned from darkness to light. It was said um, about Narnia, in the world of Narnia, it was said that we always, it's always winter, but never Christmas. And life can feel like that at times, can't it? For many people, Christmas is a difficult time of the year. And the TV ads give uh, the impression that everybody's having a wonderful time, everybody's with their family, eating together. But actually, it's not true. A recent poll by YouGov suggests that only 62% of the British population are actually with their family on Christmas Day. And I guess there's lots of reasons why people aren't with their family. Um, one of the reasons, of course, is to do with broken relationships. One young lady said this, one lady who, young lady who's estranged from her family. She said, Christmas is definitely a time where I feel I need to be loved. And the longer you are estranged, the more desperate you become for that love. And yet we as Christians have got a message of love that we can share with our communities. And in these last verses, verses 78 and 79, we've got a lovely picture of light dawning in the world as a promised Messiah arrives. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. There is a tender love from God that can be ours in Jesus. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. And this is a message that we share at Christmas. Peace with God and peace with one another. Finally, in 2014, a group of uh, South Korean, Korean Christians came to the UK for a month. They came over for a specific reason. They came over to pray for the British church and to ask God to strengthen and revive his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what they said. They said, we thank God for the many British missionaries who dedicated their lives to mission in Korea. And we're greatly indebted to them because of their courage to share the gospel with our ancestors. We regard the UK church as our mother church, but we are greatly concerned about the spiritual decline in the UK and long to see a rekindling of passion for Christ and the gospel. And you know, the Koreans are, 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 are one of a number of countries that are sending missionaries back 
to the UK. Countries where we once sent missionaries are now sending missionaries back to us. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you've ever met anyone who's come to the UK from another culture to be a Christian. But my impression is whenever I do speak to people, is I'm always struck by the confidence that they have in the message of the gospel. Because we in the UK here have come pretty, we're often apologetic about the message of the gospel. We've lost that confidence in the gospel. A confidence that Zachariah had. A confidence that comes from spending time with God. A confidence that comes from understanding God's word. A confidence that comes from being filled with his spirit. A confidence that says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would indeed open our mouths, free our tongues to speak out your praise and to share the wonderful message of Christmas. Give us opportunities, Lord, and give us courage to speak of Jesus, God's personal invitation. Help us to explain that you're more than a baby, that you've come to save, rescue, and to give new life. And fill us once again with your spirit, we pray, to live and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.